0: What's up, everyone? This is episode number 42 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle. As always, you guys can find me throughout the week on my social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum podcast. My Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. And after last week's episode with the owner of the Altered Curry RPA, a number of you did just that. If you haven't listened to episode 41, which was last week, I suggest you pause this one. Make sure to check that one out first. Real quick here, I'm going to address a few questions I received throughout the week, and then my plan is to be done with this whole saga for the time being. I really don't want to drag it on any further. Okay, so one major question that I got from a lot of people revolved around the jersey that was used for the new patch. So I asked Blaine about it this week. He claimed it was a game-worn jersey from Steph's rookie year. Um, We already heard that, okay? It was hard for a lot of people to believe that somebody would cut a rookie jersey of his up, but the way it was explained to me, and remember, I'm just the messenger here, is that the jersey was owned by Steph's cousin, who is also a friend of Blaine's. At one point, the cousin wore the jersey like a regular piece of clothing. There were some food stains on it. The cousin's a smoker, and it had some cigarette ash damage, and then eventually the jersey was gifted to the current owner. So there was some minor damage to the jersey before he used it. Like I said, I had a lot of people ask me for explanation. That's the one I got. Um, Several people asked me about the stitching on the jersey. If you want to see the stitching up close, you can look at the picture of the new patch on my social media. I think I posted that on there maybe on Monday. I haven't tried to match it up to any specific game or year or anything, but if someone wanted to do so, I suppose it's doable. You could probably go back and look at highlight videos or Getty images to see how many times the Warriors wore Navy in Steph's rookie year. Uh, Look for any loose threads or jersey holes that line up. It's difficult, but not impossible. I've done it for a few older jerseys before, but I don't have any plans to do it for this one. My main concern revolves around tracking the appearance and any alterations so the card could be easily recognized if it were to somehow show up elsewhere and this one's definitely easy to recognize now. Those of you that listened last week might remember that Blaine said he was going to see Steph Curry again soon. He mentioned that he was mulling over the idea of wiping the auto off the card and getting it signed again, so some of you asked me about that. If you saw my Instagram post on Monday, you know that's exactly what happened, and I will say it looks quite a bit different than I envisioned it would. Um, In fact, I even told Blaine that It was a bit jarring when I opened my email and the new card, the new new image of the card showed up because um, Steph placed his signature over the picture on the right side of the card, and then he used the traditional autograph area to add two inscriptions. The first says 09 Rookie. The second says 16 Unanimous. Um, The latter, of course, refers to his 2016 MVP and the fact that he was the first unanimous selection for the award. I asked Blaine about the two inscriptions and here's the response I got. He said, I requested the unanimous inscription. I was a little surprised by the 09 rookie inscription. I actually asked Steph about it. He said he likes humble inscriptions. He said the message behind it was seven years from rookie to unanimous MVP. Incredible if you think about that. Okay. So anyway, if you haven't seen the updated picture of the card, make sure you check that out on my social media. And now that this whole saga is winding down or at least approaching a stopping point of sorts, I do want to add a few final thoughts. Um, Number one, it wasn't super surprising to me that I took some flack on the blowout boards because a couple people felt like um, I didn't push back enough in my conversation with Blaine. Overall, though, I would say the reception there was still very positive. Like I said, there were a few detractors and they expressed that uh, I didn't make it clear enough that altering cards is wrong. Look, I don't mind criticism of my work, especially if it's needed. I, I think that's a, a great way to you know, improve someone's work is to be receptive to criticism. And I'm always trying to improve the content that I'm creating for you guys. But I wouldn't create content if I didn't believe in the quality of it. Um, but I also think I've made it pretty clear through my work on the podcast and the RPA trackers that I believe that altering cards for distribution is wrong. And I'm not big on altering cards for one's personal collection either. So if you needed me to explicitly say that, well, there you go. Whether you believe everything that was said or not, the 16 of 99 Steph Curry National Treasures RPA has been on a wild five-month journey. And there are some indisputable facts that I think we can all agree on. The card is altered from its original condition. And altered seems to be a bit of an understatement at this point, some major Major mistakes were made along the way by the owner. Um, BGS did a poor job in keeping track of these. And the fallout from this whole ordeal affected a number of different people in a number of different ways. I hope this whole thing was enlightening for some of you. You know, Maybe you're new to the hobby and you didn't know this was something to look out for. I hope some good resulted from it and continues to do so. I hope these grading companies keep making changes for the better. And most importantly, I hope this deters others from choosing a similar course in the days of head, because it's definitely not worth it. Um, finally, I appreciate you guys, the listeners, for coming along for the ride and being a part of this thing. Okay, um, enough of that. Let's switch gears here. Um, I want to talk about one more big thing from this week in the hobby, and that is contenders first off the line. That all went down on Tuesday. As a disclaimer, um, and I know I've said this before, I don't open a lot of wax, so there's not a lot of boxes that really stick out to me in the first place, Um, but par for the course, then I can't say I'm really interested in the product itself, but the process intrigues me. So um, if we're looking at a a normal hobby box of contenders, um, they'll feature two autographs per box, with the big draw being the rookie ticket autos that are on card. These have been a much bigger hit in football, but I'm wondering if some of that enthusiasm won't carry over here this year. I've already seen one football collector ask if the basketball variations would hold a major premium like they do in football. I think with Zion Mania and the Prism Hunt, we've got quite a few football collectors that are getting their feet wet in basketball as well, and that's awesome. But the thing about the first off the line boxes, though, from what I understand is that there's not an extra hit. There's still an exclusive but it's not an extra hit so there's still only two autographs in the box and the first off the line exclusive then replaces one of those existing hits so here are the three possible exclusives you have the rookie season ticket premium edition blue shimmer which is numbered to 20. you have the rookie variation season ticket premium edition blue shimmer that's a mouthful which is numbered to 20. And then you have the Veteran Season Ticket Premium Edition Blue Shimmer numbered to 10. I doubt you'll see all of those titles in your eBay listings. It'd be hard to put all of that in there. Um, Anyway, though, like I said, this whole thing went down on Tuesday. Panini tried the Dutch auction style format again with the bottom set at $200. They weren't going to sell these things any lower than $200. And this time the price started at $750 and it dropped $10 every two minutes. They ended up selling out at $290. Now personally, I still don't think that's a great deal for a box that only has two hits, but kudos to Panini for actually refining the process. Like I've said before, this helps weed out some of the bots, and this time they moved the price quicker, so it didn't drag on like it did with Prism. I'm getting the feeling that this Dutch Auction style format is here to stay, but at least they're making the necessary changes that enable it to actually work. So once again, kudos to Panini. Okay, so that was some of the hobby happenings from this week. Um, they announced something else today with blockchain that I'm not even going to begin to address. I'm going to kind of gather some thoughts, and I'm sure I'll touch on that later. But I want to take some time to um, you know, move into my main feature for the day, which is to talk a little bit about Luka Doncic and the um, current pace of the hobby, for lack of a better term. And I think this is also a great opportunity to try and illustrate the fact that no single trend in the hobby happens in a vacuum. And when I say that, I mean that nothing's completely isolated. So we we saw Luka base rookies go up to $100 and we need to realize, you know, a lot of people will say, well, it's because Luka's playing crazy. Well, it wasn't just the fact that he was having an MVP type season. It goes back to the rise of the Giannis rookie that can be traced back to the origins with tops chrome and so on and so on so everything in this hobby is kind of related in one way or another so we have to remember that when we're discussing it so my goal for the rest of this episode then is to try and connect some of those pieces i want to examine luca's recent hobby progression and then i want to talk through some of the possible scenarios going forward now that the two young driving forces which would be luca and Zion, in the hobby are hurt. Uh, so those of you that listen to the show on a regular basis, you know I haven't really talked a lot about Luca, even though his his cards have been blowing up. I did the episode, who knows when that was, probably last summer about Luca Autos. Um, I haven't really addressed any of that since then. There hasn't been any resolution to that. I'm, I'm not going to continue to fuel all that stuff. Um, I think I was waiting to see, you know, in regards to his play now, I think I was waiting to see if he was going to carry those sorts of numbers into the new year. But um, either way, there's no mistaking the fact that he's off to a historic start. Luka was averaging, this is pre-injury, was averaging 30.4 points, 9.9 rebounds, and 9.4 assists heading into last Saturday's game against Miami. Well, not bad for a 20-year-old, right? And he doesn't turn 21 until the end of February. He's already got eight triple doubles this season. He's already moved in front of Magic and LeBron for the most in the NBA before the age of 22. And it's not like he's barely making these triple doubles either. When the Mavs and Pistons faced off in Mexico, he dropped 41. I think that's his second career 40-point triple double, which is crazy. So the list goes on. It goes on and on. If you want even more Luka chatter, make sure to check out the new House of Jordans episode which is episode number 13 called Leuphoria. Sorry, Christina, I know you hated that title, but it is what it is. Okay, as that title suggests though, which I thought it was a good title, a lot of people have gone Luca crazy. And this is definitely affecting the card world and quick. I would say about a month ago, I found a couple of uh, 2018, 2019 optic mega boxes at Walmart. And, um, the thing about those is they have the optic shock parallels. I've never been big on those and those boxes are just chocked full of them. So I passed, um, even with the potential to pull a really valuable card, I I felt like passing was a responsible decision at the time. I really didn't want to drop $80 on those. Well, about a week after that, those boxes became highly sought after. And I'm kind (laughs) of looking for them at that point. And, you know, of course there's none to be found. Um, another example, last month I was at a local card show that had 2018-2019 prism blasters for $35 a piece. You know, you know people are Luca chasing. Um, I've opened plenty of those at $20, and I felt like that price was kind of brutal. So I put my foot down, because I didn't want to get stuck with any more Bradley Beal relics for my dollar box. Um, well, now... Thirty-five dollars seems like a great buy for some people. Personally, I still wouldn't break at that price, but to each his own. People are buying them at that price and much higher now. So, those price jumps. Look, I understand though. There's still a small chance that you'll hit something big. There's the Luca or the Trey Hollow, the LeBron Hollow, the Lucas Silver. Um, That's not really a game I want to play, but I get it. The recent trend that really makes me scratch my head, though, involves the people that are hunting down blasters and hangers of. 2018 2019 products like Chronicles and Threads. And you know, if they were just buying the product for a cheap chance to pull low end Luca rookies, I get it. But a lot of people are hunting these down to buy them and keep them sealed. Now, you can probably buy all the common Luca rookies from Chronicles for under $10. Hey, look, I'm only one guy and I encourage people to collect what they like. If you like sealed boxes, if that really does it for you, then keep doing what you're doing. Otherwise, though, open your packs. Okay, these, these aren't, you know, huge investments. Open your packs. Enjoy the packs. They were made to be opened, right? The, to me, the whole thing's a little ridiculous. How much of a premium do you really think people are going to pay in a year or two for a chance to pull one of the lowest priced Luka cards on the market? Now... When it comes to analyzing the the excitement towards a specific player, especially a rookie, the universal go-to in the past seems to be the price of silver prisms. And that makes sense to me. There are some common variables between years that make that a viable strategy. But when people are holding sealed blasters and hangers of the super low-end products, that proves to me that we're now entering uncharted territory. Nobody was hoarding hanger packs of Panini complete back in 2015 looking for Carl Anthony Towns rookies. Um, You know, in fact, I still see Panini complete in the clearance section at Walmart from time to time, and that's several years later. So this whole Luca hunt is something else. Um, But, you know, people want to get in on the excitement, even at the lowest level. We're seeing the same thing this year from Zion, and he hasn't even played you know, maybe baseball's at a slow point, football's winding down. You see a lot of those collectors at Walmart and Target joining in on the Zion chase. And you better believe that Luca and his recent performance on the court plays a large part in that. Like I said, nothing happens in a vacuum. With that being said, though, you know, I'm no different than a lot of you guys. I've been watching the NBA for over a quarter of a century now, and I've seen a lot of stuff happen. I've also missed out on a lot of stuff because I didn't appreciate some of it in the moment. I didn't go out of my way to really see it, whatever the reason was. And hindsight is 20-20, but I don't want to take anything for granted going forward. So Luca's hot start has me tuning into more Mavs games than I normally would. And they've been pretty successful this year. Heading into last Saturday's game, they had a 17-7 record. But on the whole, I would say the roster is still pretty gross. Yes, they've got another big name with Kristaps Porzingis, but a lot of the time he still looks like somebody that hasn't played in an NBA game for twenty months. So who's their third best player? Well, it's either Tim Hardaway Jr. or Seth Curry. Either way, there's a major drop off, and it's no secret that their success is a testament to what Luca has accomplished. So, um, you know, following this year, I one of my good friends from high school. He's also a big NBA fan. Last Saturday, I went over to his house. We made plans ahead of time. The sole purpose, uh, we wanted to watch the Mavs-Heat game because the Heat are another team that's been a pretty good follow-on league pass, so it seemed like a no-brainer. That was kind of our marquee matchup for the night. Well, I get there. About a minute and a half into the game, Lucas brains his right ankle, and it's one of those injuries where you can tell pretty quick that he's not coming back, and he hasn't come back since then. Now, it's looking like he might miss a couple of weeks. Keep in mind, this was at the highest point of euphoria, right? I'm going to steal a term from House of Jordans. Um, I don't know if it had peaked yet, but it's the highest point we had seen. It was the best he's been on the court. Low-end cards were hitting record sales numbers. Um, High-end cards continued to rise. So when he's clutching his ankle and hobbling back to the locker room, people were freaking out. And it's not like everyone rushed to eBay to list their stuff, but for a lot of people, there was um, definitely a newfound sense of caution. And when it comes to active players in the hobby, we've been kind of spoiled by LeBron James. He's been incredibly durable throughout the duration of his career. He's already 13th all-time in regular season minutes played. He's um, first all-time for playoff minutes, at over 10,000 minutes just in playoffs alone. The guy went to the finals eight straight times. I know he was hurt a little bit last year, but by that, you know, by this point, he's already one of the top three players of all time. Not, I say top three because I'm insulating myself from having to make any arguments here that's gonna split people. Um Luca on the other hand is only 20. And that can work to his advantage in some ways. You know, in the grand scheme of things, it's a very minor injury. He should be able to bounce back pretty quick. Uh, in fact I think the Mavs dodged a bullet here. They get to see what they have on the court without him but they've also won enough games that missing him for a couple weeks won't completely tank their season. And maybe this forces Porzingis to be more aggressive and kind of come out of his shell. Who knows? Um, On the cardboard side of things, he doesn't have the track record to serve as a safety net if something happens. And when he's not on the court to maintain that same level of play and excitement, when his triple doubles aren't on SportsCenter, when his highlights trail off on social media that excitement dies down a little. And there were a lot of people that were buying very aggressively. And like I mentioned earlier, there were a lot of people that were buying and stashing. And this injury is really a small but effective reminder that no one player is invincible. After watching the NBA finals last year in the first months of this season, I wouldn't think that that reminder is needed, but it, it does kind of feel like a long time ago already. And sometimes it's easy to get caught up in all the hoopla as it's happening. You know, watching Luca is exciting. So now that we've kind of put on the brakes and now that we have this injury, that begs the question, where do prices go from here? And as I move into this next part, I want to preface this by saying that I'm not looking to give people buying advice. What I want to do instead is to present you with some things to think about that I think can help you in the face of any decisions that you might be poised to make. And that's not just with Luca, but with other young players as well. I mentioned Silver Prism prices earlier. Yes, like any other big card, I'm sure some of the sales are manipulated, but I still like looking at the data because it's a common, desirable card. It's very liquid. It's one of Panini's older sets. Um, It gives you a pretty clear picture of a particular player's market over a period of time. I I know the print runs vary across the years, but it's still one of the best data points that we've got. If you want to track Lucas Silver Sales, you can look at some of the data on a website called breakerculture.com. And I don't do a lot of actual pricing analysis. You know, you guys know, you don't hear me do a lot of talking about price on here, but um, that's a site that's a great resource to refer to if you want to see more. Once again, that was BreakerCulture.com. And looking at volume 15 of their Luca price ladder, just from October to November, PSA 10 silver prices rose an astounding 44.1%. They went from $625 to $810. So that was a jump of almost $200 in just one month. Jump forward another month to December 1st. Uh, you have, on that day, Luca and the Mavs beat the Lakers in L.A., And then the next day, a PSA 10 copy sold for $2,400. So October to November, we had a 44% jump. And then November to December, the price tripled. Well, you know, at least for that one sale, that's not to say a lot of copies were selling for that, but it did reach that point. I would be genuinely interested in talking to the one person uh, or the people, if there were multiple, that were buying these at $2,400. You know, maybe it's some of you and maybe you have good reasons. I know some people think he'll win the MVP, maybe prices would go up more then. you know, some people think Luca will go on to be an all time great player, you know, I'm sure prices would go up then, but to buy the card at its highest point to date, especially a card that's, uh, you know, is this liquid that buyer has to think that that price is going to go up again at some point as it currently stands. though, we're several weeks removed um, from that sale. Luke is out with an ankle injury, and then there's a whole slew of these silvers on eBay at a cheaper price, so what do we make of all this? I'm in a group chat with a couple of other content creators, it includes Chris from the House of Jordans and Jake from 90s B-Ball Cards, shout out to those shows, listen, comment, subscribe, all that good stuff, but um, I was talking with them and there were a few good thoughts that emerged and I think they're worth passing along. So. The first one involves um, cards that are readily accessible. That's your prism type stuff. Those are all very liquid. Those are all the common cards that the investor types go for and it's easy to see why. There's not a lot of guesswork when it comes to determining a set value. A lot of people can get them. A lot of money can be made. You know, There's nothing really unique about them so when they reach a certain profit threshold you know, there's not an emotional attachment. There's no hesitation in moving them. You just know that's the number I'm trying to get to. So that's why you saw guys like Gary V going after this Giannis Prism card. Um, if he just went for serial numbered stuff instead, he wouldn't be able to acquire and move as much of it. And you've heard, you know, you've heard a lot of people talking about that as far as the long term game. They think that going for numbered stuff is ideal for the future. We'll see. You know, I don't know where things are going. Um, All of that type of stuff, though, the stuff that, you know, is very common. That's the stuff that was moving a lot before the injury. And that's the stuff that will continue to circulate through the market. But the liquid stuff and the low-end stuff has all come down a bit since the injury. And for the most part, it's settled about halfway between preseason prices for Luka and peak prices. I don't think people are getting rid of their stuff in mass quantity. It's not like they're trying to get out of the Luka game entirely, but the injury forced the bulk of the people that are buying to pump the brakes a little. And since the next batch of prism is out at the same time, it makes for an easy transition. Meanwhile, then, the stuff that's rising still, you know, regardless of the injury, seems to be the really rare stuff. That's the stuff in the hands of the long-term investors, the hardcore collectors, etc. Um, just this last week, a raw Luca National Treasures RPA sold for an all-time high. You know, we'll see if that sale actually went through, or if it get, or if it gets relisted. But the timing's interesting. You know, maybe this stuff's legitimately drying up. You know, people are are not getting rid of it. Um, maybe more people are entering the fold. You know, maybe a combination of both. Uh, maybe people are really sold on him having a LeBron or a Curry-like career. And like everyone else, they're saying, you know, I wish I'd bought more LeBron back in the day. You know, we'll see. Only time will tell. But. This is definitely something we need to stop and think about as all of us are running all over our respective cities, chasing shining cards of an injured player. And just know when I say that I'm right there with you. Um, The top two young players in the league right now are hurt and the term young is relative. I know, you know, Giannis is still very young. There are other guys that are, you know, in the grand scheme of things, they're young, but I'm talking about 21 and under. So if Luca and Zion are the two players that are largely driving things, how is that going to affect the future of the hobby? Well, for Luca, we feel like he'll be back soon. Sprained ankle's definitely not the end of the world, definitely not a death sentence in basketball. For Zion, we're still very much up in the air. I've heard the Greg Oden comparisons. I think that those are a little ridiculous. Their issues are not similar at all. Um, either way, though, the Zion injury didn't really hurt the prism release in my opinion. But what happens if we get 20 releases into the year and he still hasn't played? Are people going to be able to maintain that level of anticipation for that long before they move on to something else? you know, at that point, maybe we've had our fix of shiny cards, we start to experience Zion fatigue. you know who knows it, It's a much different game than, Um, you know, Blake Griffin, when we were waiting for him and and a much different game than even Ben Simmons. And that wasn't that long ago. And as we close out this year, and as I close out this episode today, I want everyone to sit and really think through their approach to buying cards. And this is not necessarily about choosing between collecting and investing. I don't think we should have to pick sides. And I don't think everything is as black and white in the hobby as some people make it. But you have to really examine what cards you're buying and why you're purchasing them. If you're buying something that's very liquid, what are your expectations for it? What are your reasons? If you're buying wax to rip and cash in on the next big thing, well, what happens if that player's a big disappointment? Or what happens if you don't pull anything of them at all? Is the experience cost alone worth it? Or what happens to those of you that are buying low-end blasters, to stash and then you have no experience cost to even fall back on. So you can't even use that to help justify the value if this whole thing tanks. The the amount of people, I know I talked about this already, but the amount of people I've seen posting pictures of sealed prism or other blasters this year and asking, you know, do I hold or do I rip? It's way higher than it's ever been. In fact, in the past, it's usually just been first off the line boxes and certain hobby boxes, but never retail in this capacity. And I think a lot of it traces back to baseball and the tops update and the chrome blasters that have been good holds over the years. People are adopting the same mentality with basketball now, and I'm not even sure yet if it crosses over all that well. So what happens if this 2019 class is a bust and you've held all of this stuff? talked about rookies a couple of weeks ago with Jake Roy. What if people were holding wax in 2000 or 2001? You know, I don't see a lot of people showing off their shelves and shelves of tops tip-off blasters. Um, What if Giannis hadn't emerged as a transcendent talent out of a horrible 2013 draft class? Is this hobby worthwhile enough to you that you're going to be able to ride something like that out? Or is that going to affect you in a way that really um, sours you on the hobby. You know, I hope not. And, and if you are kind of putting yourself in that position, I want you to evaluate it because I want people to stay in the hobby and I want the hobby to grow. Um, regardless of whether you're ripping wax or buying singles, if you're just collecting players and teams you like, I think it's a little easier for you to deal with the ebbs and flows of the hobby. If, for example, I, I bought multiple Victor Oladipo cards over the last couple of years. Um he's been hurt for a while now. Some of them some of these cards are very liquid, some of them are not. Um In fact, I bought a really nice Victor Oladipo 101 a couple of nights ago. I can't wait to show that off when I get it. That one's not liquid. But either way, if Victor comes back and only averages 10 points per game, I'm happy with my purchases. They'll stay in my collection. If he never plays again, I won't regret those purchases one bit. But if you're buying cards as commodities, And the people that have been doing this a while understand this. So this is nothing new to them. If you're buying cards as commodities, though, if you're going to treat them as little investments with, you know, 82 mini conference calls a year, you have to understand the risk that you incur. Or if you're going to go all in on a guy like Zion, obviously the risk is multiplied tenfold. Do not get so caught up in whatever everyone else is doing that you lose sight of that. Okay, so for those of you that are new to the hobby, just know that Things are really booming right now, you know. Things are are crazy. It's fun. Cards are moving. People are buying and selling. There's a lot of people in the market. You know, it's been a crazy year, but it's been an interesting year to follow. For me, you know, it's it's a good year, I think, to have um, content because there's plenty of stuff to talk about. But you just need to realize how volatile the market can be at times, and compared to past years in the hobby. I feel like everything in 2019 has moved at warp speed. Anyway, I know I kind of jumped around a, a bit today, but those are some thoughts I've been meaning to share with you guys. I hope I gave you something to take back with you this week and think about, and I'd love to hear from you. Let's continue the conversation elsewhere. Are you buying Luca right now? You know Has his injury affected your purchases? Are you stashing blasters away? What do you think of the current state of the hobby? Let me know on my Instagram, which is at Podcast, or my Twitter, which is at WaxMuseumPC. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or Google Play. Hit up the Podbean site for a link to the merch store. Tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast.